Let's give our band a great hand. They did a great job in that intro. And welcome to Horizon Community Church. I'm Alex. I'm the pastor here. And I wanted to take just a minute and we'll get back to singing and worshiping God to talk about our small groups for next year. We're coming to the end of the year. And uh, right now we've had two small groups, an adult and a college group. And next year in January, we're going to start a third group. It's going to be a young adult, young couples group. And Gabe, you can go ahead to the next slide there. So our adult group, um, Larry, Larry, give a wave out to the crowd out there. That's Larry. He's agreed to facilitate our adult group. It's already at his house, so that makes that nice and convenient. And they're going to be studying Francis Chan's Basic Church, which is one of my all-time favorite small group studies about just what the church should be and what the basics of that should look like. And you can go to that next slide, Gabe. And our college group, Nick, give a wave out there. Nick has agreed to facilitate, be the facilitator for our college group. And uh, they're going to meet in coffee shops and restaurants and kind of mix it up some. And they are going to be doing a new study called World's Greatest Solution. They're going to get together, look at a problem facing the world, such as poverty, such as racism, look at what the Bible says, and then just talk about how they can create change in their community and if they can create change in their generation across the world. One of the things I love about millennials is, unlike the older generations who are like, we don't have enough money, we don't have enough people, millennials are like, I think we could fix this. I think we can change the world. So I'm really excited about that. Um, and go to that last slide. And so the young adults and young couples are going to be, um, Darby and I are going to be leading that group. And we're going to be doing a study by Dave Ramsey called Total Money Makeover on how to manage your money. It's going to be more practical than spiritual, but there are spiritual elements in that. And we're excited about that. That's going to be in our home starting in January on Sunday evenings. So if you're not in a small group, we'd love for you to be a part of a small group. You can talk to Nick or Larry or myself. We're in a nice diagonal line right here for you to talk to if you'd like to be part of a small group. And if you say, hey, I have a great idea for a small group, come and tell us. We'd love for you to start new small groups for us to expand the small groups we have. So our band's going to come back and play. But before they do that, I just want to pray for these, these guys who have stepped up to lead small groups and the guys and girls out here who aren't leading small groups yet, but you will one day. And then also for myself and Darby as we lead these small groups uh, in 2018. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful that you're a good God and you're a God who loves us and care about us and cares about us and is involved in our everyday life. And Lord, we're grateful for Nick and for Larry and their willingness to step up and to help divide some of the labor here so that uh, Darby and I can do new things. Lord, we're thankful for the people you've brought here and the people we've been able to equip and share about who Jesus is. And Lord, I'm grateful that we can gather together in communities and learn how to live and love more like you together. I'm thankful that the Christian life is not an isolated, lonely life, but really it's a life that calls us to be together, to be for each other, and to support each other. God, I pray that you would use these small groups uh, in 2018 to reach people who are far away from God, to help people who know God to come closer to him and to live and look more like him. And I pray all these things in your name. Amen.
right, these next few songs are traditional Christmas songs, but a little bit of a twist, so just watch the lyrics and sing along with us.
Let's give the band another round of applause as they come off. I know some of these Christmas songs, they practice over and over and over again. They had uh, many times, two times or three times the number of normal practices to get ready. So really proud of their hard work and so grateful for them. Um, when Darby and I, you know, first came up here and started to think about starting this church, we were afraid it would always be just Darby all alone on a stage because I have no musical ability. And... The amazing thing is God has so graciously provided us with so many talented people uh, who can play music. So we're so grateful for you. We are in our Advent series about the arrival of Jesus Christ. And we're going to take a little bit of a different approach this morning and talk about Hanukkah. And uh, you're like, how in the world is this going to be about Christmas? How are you going to tie this in? That's a great question. Stick around and see if I actually do. So a few years ago... Um, I was at a church event, and the leader up front, he invited people out in the audience to share op opportunities, that's a hard word for me to say, opportunities, that they had during the holiday season to share the love of Jesus with people. And this one lady, she was real eager, and so she came up, and she started sharing the story about how she was at a store, and it was busy, and the lines were long, and she was waiting in line, and she's like, I didn't complain, I didn't yell at the people around me, and I got up to the cashier, and she begins to describe this flustered and frustrated cashier who's upset, you know, and trying to get through her day. And she says, I didn't complain to the lady about how long it was taking. And then the lady, the cashier said, uh, said, happy holidays. And she says, I was about to leave, but she was like, I would not stand for that. And so she says, I leaned over the counter and put my finger up in her face and said, you mean Merry Christmas, right? And then she was really proud, this lady sharing in front of the church about this opportunity she had to stand up for Jesus, you know. And uh, I couldn't help thinking out there, that lady, the cashier, probably didn't feel the love of Jesus in that moment, right? She probably didn't feel very merry or very appreciative about Christmas. She was probably just doing her job, what they told her to say. And what they told her to say was probably happy holidays. She didn't mean anything bad by that. And she, the lady from the church who got up in her face probably didn't advance the gospel, the good news that Jesus loves you and he's come for you to rescue you very much by saying that. The word holiday is really two words, the word holy and day. So when we're saying happy holidays, what we're saying is there's more than one holy day in this season. And you know what? There is more than one holy day in this season, right? We celebrate Christmas while our Jewish friends and neighbors celebrate Hanukkah. And I, I think if we're honest, though, our Christmas celebrations, they really, if we're really honest... Uh, they don't have so much to do with worshiping God as they have to do with worshiping the materialistic God that Americans serve every day of the year, every season of the year. If we're really honest, a lot of the things that we celebrate at Christmas don't have anything to do with Jesus. They have to do with our desire to possess things and to have flash uh, without any substance. I mean, when I was growing up, what I did was in the Hanovich household, we would get this mound of presents at Christmas and everyone would pile up all the presents for you. And we would kind of guard that mound like this is mine. If you've ever seen the uh, Lord of the Rings Hobbit movies where the dragon has this mound of treasure and he just kind of like sleeps on it and lives in the gold. That's very much how a Hanovich celebrates Christmas. And so, you know, I'd lay on my mound of presents and my parents or somebody would walk by and be like, are you happy with your presents? And I'm like, yes. Get away. These are mine. You know, this is mine. This is my stuff. And if we're honest, most of the time, our Christmas celebrations have a lot more to do with materialism than they do Jesus. 
Um, in fact, we know that we celebrate Christmas on December 25th, but Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. Uh, in fact, most scholars agree that if Jesus uh, was born like the Bible says he was when the shepherds were out in their fields watching their sheep, that only occurs in spring or summer. No shepherd would have their sheep out in the fields in winter. And so where did we get this date from? Well, there was a Roman pagan festival in December called Saturnalia, and uh, it was a time when you would eat berries and nuts and wine, when you would give gifts to your neighbors and friends and family. Roman historians call it the best time of the year, and uh, the church ended up saying, well, if we move this celebration of Jesus' birth right next door to this holiday, this pagan holiday, maybe we'll lose some of the pagan elements and, you know, introduce some Christian elements. And unfortunately, we still have a lot of those pagan elements in there. Is it wrong to celebrate Christmas? No, absolutely not. But at the same time, it is biblical to celebrate Hanukkah. We're not commanded to celebrate it, but Hanukkah is in the Bible. Um, Hanukkah is this celebration of an event that took place between the Old and New Testaments. So in between the Old and New Testaments, even though you know the Old Testament just ends and Matthew starts in our Bibles, there's 400 years in there. And during that period, um, Israel was, the nation of Israel was conquered by the Syrians and the Greeks, and they outlawed the worship of the one true God, and the Jewish people rebelled. And this one family led the rebellion, the rebellion of freedom fighters, and they were the Maccabee family. And they began to win more and more victories and take back more and more territory. And finally, they took back Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. And when they did that, they got into the temple where they worshipped the one true God. And what they found was the temple had been filled with idols of, from the Greek and Syrian people. And so they smashed all the idols. And in the temple stood... Um, what we would think of today as a menorah, it was a seven-pronged candle stand. It was actually commanded to be in the Old Testament, made by God, or God commanded that the people make it and it be in the tabernacle and then in the temple. And it was to be lit at all times to signify that God's presence and glory was in the temple. And so they said, we've taken this place back. We need to light this candle stand to represent that God's presence is here because that's what he's commanded. So they started looking around, and the Greeks and the Syrians had destroyed all the sanctified oil used in the candle stand. And they said, how long is it going to make, take to make more oil? And they said, it's going to take eight days. So they scrounged around. They finally found some oil, and they said, hey, it's not enough to last eight days, but we'll put it in the lamp, and we'll see how long it burns. They put it in, and it burned all the way until they were able to make more oil and continue it. And uh, so they saw that as an example that God was with them, that God was for them, and that his presence had returned to the temple. And so that's what they're celebrating at Hanukkah. That's why it's called the Festival of Lights. Now, there's two school of thought in the Jewish world, and these two theologians lived in this period between the Old and New Testaments, and they influenced a lot about how Jewish people thought in Jesus' day, and it's, they still influence how... Jewish theology is taught today. So two groups, Shammai and Hillel, were two rabbis, and they took different positions on the Old Testament. Shammai was very strict. He was one of the guys who said, if you pluck a gray hair on the Sabbath, that's work, because that's plucking, just like if you went out to your field to pluck. Hillel was a little bit more lenient in some things, um, and so they had all these debates about how to interpret the Old Testament. So followers of Shammai, when they celebrate Hanukkah, what they do is they start with all the candlesticks lit 
and then they start reducing it day by day into only one remains. It's more of a historical account of Hanukkah. The followers of Hillel do the opposite. They start with one and they light one more each night until they're all lit. And in their minds, they see that as symbolic as God's glory and his presence and his light is expanding throughout the world. There's not a right or wrong way to do it. Now, you might have noticed I said that the menorah is seven candlesticks. And if you've ever been to a store and you've ever seen one in someone's yard or lit up in someone's store, it's probably eight or nine candlesticks. Why that is, is they believe only the one in the temple should be seven. All the others are eight or nine so that they don't feel like that they've, uh, they've blasphemed about, against the sacred one in the temple. So that's a little bit about what's going on in Hanukkah. And something occurred to me last year that really started this train of thought. And uh, it was right around Christmas time. And I started thinking, Jesus never celebrated Christmas. Isn't that a weird thought? Like Jesus never put up a Christmas tree. Jesus never put up Christmas lights. Jesus never bought presents and wrapped them in colorful paper and handed them to someone. And I'm like, that's weird. Like, we call it Christmas, christ mess, you know, but Jesus never celebrated. But he did celebrate Hanukkah, which is something that just blew my mind. It was like Jesus celebrated Hanukkah, but he never celebrated Christmas. I know a lot about Christmas. I know nothing about Hanukkah. And so I started reading about it and finding out what the people were celebrating and what we can learn from what they celebrated. Um, growing up in a Christian family, I spent a lot of time learning about evergreen trees and drinking eggnog and making Santa cookies and wearing Santa hats and singing Christmas carols, but I knew nothing about Hanukkah. And you say, okay, Alex, how do you know that Jesus celebrated Hanukkah? Well, we're going to look at John 10, starting in verse 22, where it tells us that he did. And it says, and then the festival of dedication took place in Jerusalem, and it was wintertime. And Jesus was walking in the temple in Solomon's colonnade, and the Jews surrounded him, and they asked him, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? We want to know. If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. He says, I did tell you, but you don't believe me, Jesus answered. The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you don't believe because you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my hand. And then he goes on and he says, I and the Father are one. And it says, again, the Jews picked up rocks to stone him. So you say, okay, Alex, I didn't see Festival of Lights. I didn't see Hanukkah anywhere in there. What are you, are you trying to trick us here? What's going on? Uh, you notice in verse 22, it says the Festival of Dedication. That is another name for Hanukkah. You've probably seen like 300 different spellings for Hanukkah. It also has multiple names. Festival of Lights or Festival of Dedication is the exact same thing. Don't believe me? Google it. Look it up. Festival of Dedication is Hanukkah. So here he is at the Festival of Lights, and he's on the outer gate of the temple. So he's probably just been in there as they've lit the... Um, lit the menorah in the temple and celebrated this reminder of God's presence. And he's walking out of the temple and all these people there for the festival gather around him, crowd around him, and they say, hey, don't keep us in the dark. Let us know if you are the Messiah, show us plainly. So here he is at this festival of lights and there's this interesting back and forth symbolism here about being kept in the dark and things being revealed. And uh, so these people all gather around him and say, tell us if you are the Messiah. Are you the one we're looking for? 
And Jesus explains to him, he goes, I already told you, you just didn't like my answer, right? As kids, we've all done this, right? Where we go to our parents and we say, can I get this? They're like, no. We're like, I'll try again. And then we're like, can I get this? They're like, no. And we're like, try with mom. Can I get this? No. You know, and we're like, maybe if we try enough times, he'll say what we want. And he's like, I already told you, you didn't like my answer. You can keep asking, but the answer stays the same. You know, sometimes we keep hoping for a different response from God, one more to our liking. And sometimes God stops answering us because he already answered and we just refuse to accept his answer. He says here to the Jewish people, he says, my work in the world is answer enough. He says, I brought light into the darkness. Has the world become a brighter place because I've been in it? He says, have blind men been healed? Have crippled people begin to walk? Have the hungry been fed? He says, the world is a brighter place because I've been here. He says, that's my answer. Have I been a light in a dark place? He says, if the answer is yes, then I'm Messiah. In John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them again. Um, this is where he's talking to a different crowd. And he says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. They're here celebrating this festival about the presence of God in the temple. And Jesus is saying, my presence in the world is proof that God has come, that God loves you, and that God is pushing back darkness. And then in verse 26, you see that he switches gears here a little bit and starts talking about his followers. Look back at verse 26. It says, but you don't believe because you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. They know me and they follow me. Now, he says here that these, these people who were asking him were not of his sheep. The great news we have today is anyone can become a follower of Jesus. Anyone can be one of his sheep, one of his um, light bringers in the world. And so if you don't know Jesus, he freely welcomes anyone who will call out on his name and say, I believe you're the son of God, that you died in my place because I could never be good enough. And he doesn't ask that you, you prove yourself to him. He doesn't ask that you somehow earn it. He freely gives salvation. He freely offers um, salvation to all who say they will follow him. But he makes this shift here to begin to talk about how his followers will follow in his footsteps. That's literally what it means to follow. We're going to start acting like Jesus. He has, been in a, he has been a light in the world, but now we also are going to be a light in the world. And so he's not only asking them, have I made the world a brighter place? But he says, have those who follow me made the world a brighter place? Do my followers push back darkness? Do they shine brightly in dark places? Do those who model their life and their behavior and their lifestyle on my teachings and on my life, do they make the world a better place? In Matthew 5, 14 through 16, he says this to his followers. He says, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You know, we live in a really dark world, right? That's not something that I have to convince you of. We know that. All you do is have to turn on the news one night a week and you can know we live in a dark world, right? We're, we live in a world filled with missiles and misery and sickness and disease and hunger and hate. Uh, we're in, increasingly in a culture that is 
not Christian. And what I've found is that many churches and church people have taken two responses. They've either adopted an us versus them mentality and taken a defensive stance. And they're like, we'll just stay behind our church doors where we're safe. We'll stay cloistered here where we're safe. And everyone out there is just wrong and we'll stay away from them. Or they've taken a defeatist attitude and they're just like, it's over. We're just going to sit here singing our little songs and, and not do anything about the world around us. Uh, because they don't agree with us anymore. And what I found is a lot of churches and a lot of church people, they're longing for the days that will never return when everyone generally in culture agreed with them and their values and church attendance was common. We're, that's not going to happen again in our lifetime. And so we could take these two options. We could become defensive and hide behind our church doors and hide and huddle in our little groups or defeatist. But I think that Jesus suggests a third option, an option that I would suggest for us here at Horizon, and that's that we take a different perspective, that we shine in the midst of darkness, that we shine in the world as brightly as we can. Let's live and sacrifice and act like Jesus in all spheres of our life and radically spread his light through every aspect of our communities, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our homes, our businesses. Um, light shines brightest in the dark. The darker the world becomes, the brighter we will shine. You don't have to fear the dark. You don't have to worry when culture doesn't affirm your beliefs. If we live and love like Jesus, that's going to stick out more and more and more as our world looks less and less like him. We simply have to live and love like Jesus in dark places, and people notice that. It's unusual. When people rip you off and you don't cuss them out, you don't give them what they deserve, but instead you show love and forgiveness and kindness. No one does that, but it reflects Jesus. And that stands out in a dark world and people notice that. You know, there's only one cure for darkness. We can shout at the darkness, we can protest against the darkness, we can complain on Facebook about the darkness. It's not hiding from it, that doesn't fix it, surrendering to it, the only cure for darkness is light. Living and loving like Jesus in dark places changes the darkness. It redeems those things that are broken in our world. When we reflect Jesus in the way we live and love in our everyday lives, a blinding light flashes across the spiritual horizon. It shows up. It stands out. It's a lighthouse in the darkness to those who are hungry for hope. When we forgive the unforgivable, when we love the unlovable, when we show patience to people who just don't deserve it, when we show mercy to those who don't deserve any, these are flashes of light. These are glimpses of a glory beyond our world. These are glimpses of Jesus' light and opportunities to change our world for the better. When we do good with nothing to gain and nothing to brag about, we're shining like Jesus did. We're lighting a dark world with a divine flame. Now, if we are followers of Jesus, we are part of a fire that never burns out. Jesus said, no one could ever take us away from him. And just like the flame in the middle of the menorah stayed lit long after the fuel ran out, our light in this world is not based on our ability to change the darkness. Our light is based on this connection we have to the presence and the glory of Jesus Christ, to the boundless supply of light and hope that is Jesus. Now, there's darkness all around you. Right? There's, there's darkness in your community. There's darkness in your neighborhood. Sometimes there's darkness even in your, your home. There's darkness in your workplace. 
And I think our tendency is sometimes to see something dark and we either recoil from it in horror or we retreat before it and we're like, I'll pray for it to change from a safe distance. God made us lights not to hide under a basket and pray, but to go out into the darkness and shine brightly. When you see places that are dark, don't run from them. Lean into them and shine and love like Jesus and you'll watch the darkness change and you'll watch people in the darkness be drawn to the message of Jesus Christ that you have and that you live. Now, as a reminder today, I have something for you to take away over here at our connection table. Right behind that connect table sign is a box of candles. I want you to take a candle and if you, if you really need an extra reminder, you can take a couple candles. I got plenty. And uh, just take that as a reminder, you're a candle, you're a spiritual light in dark places. As you go to school, as you go to work, as you're in your neighborhood, as you're in your business, wherever you are, you're there to be like Jesus in a dark place. So take a candle as you go, and remember, burn bright in dark places because all the darkness in the universe cannot quench the light of a single candle. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this challenge about being lights in dark places. And Lord, we're grateful that we can celebrate your birth because your birth changed everything on earth. Because you came and died in our place, we can actually live this life that you lived, this abundant life, this life of living and loving like Jesus. And we can invite other people to live it, to have a relationship with you here and now and after we die in heaven forever. Lord, I pray that you will help us not get overburdened by the darkness around us, not think, man, I've got to change it all, and recognize that all we need to do is stay close to you and live and love like you brightly in dark places. Lord, I pray that you will encourage people this week. Let them see how their light is reflecting and changing the people around them. And Lord, I pray that you will encourage them to see how they are brightening dark places because you are in them. We pray all these things because I believe this is what you would want and what you would pray for. Amen. So we've got a few announcements, and then we'll finish up. So let me pull up my announcements here. So the first thing is, on your table when you came in should be a connection card. If this is your first time here, or maybe your second or third time, but we never got your contact information, we would love to have that, just so we can reach out to you and see what you think about the service, if there's a way that we can serve you. Um, you can also share what you hate about the service. We take any and all uh, comments. Um, some we like better than others, but we take them all. And so if you could fill out a connection card. If you'd like to give to the church, you can also just slip that right inside there, um, inside that envelope. And Darby's going to be standing out here with a bucket she's going to walk around with. And if you'd like to give to the church, you can just drop something in that bucket. You can put it in an, in an envelope if you want to make sure for tax-deductible reasons it gets um, under your name. And then if you just want to give us your contact information, just write it on there and drop it in the bucket as well. You can also give online at our website, horizonphilly.com backslash give every day of the week, 24-7. And go ahead to the next slide there, Gabe. So this is about the Eldernet. Um, it is also a delicious looking chicken picture, but it is about the Eldernet. So the Eldernet is an organization in Lower Marion Township that serves the elderly and underprivileged. And they are making Christmas baskets for roughly 70 to 80 clients. And they need chickens, turkeys, or hams donated by December 18th to fill these baskets. 
And so um, there's some other churches involved, so we don't have to come up with 80 chickens, turkeys, and hams ourselves, thankfully. But they need all that we can bring. And so if you can get a frozen chicken, turkey, or ham and bring it, you can either bring it to Darby and I by the 17th, and we'll take it to them on the 18th, or you can drop it off on the 18th at their location at 9 South Bryn Mawr Avenue, Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania. If you have more questions about that, feel free to reach out to me as well. But that's a great way to kind of share uh, some joy and Christmas spirit around this time, and people would deeply appreciate that. Go ahead, buddy. Um, so our next service will be online. It'll be December 17th. It'll be an online service, and it is the speaking, preaching debut of Nick Snyder. So this is going to be exciting. I'm excited to hear his first sermon, and I've looked over his notes. It looks really good. I'm excited for you to hear it um, next Sunday online. Now, on December 24th, we're not going to have a service. We're actually going to post a video of just a Christmas story if you want to watch that with your family as a fun, you know, December 24th, you know, listening to the Christmas story. Um, we also encourage you, if there's a church around you that's doing a Christmas Eve service, go hang out with them. You know, there's other good churches in the area. Go and celebrate Christmas Eve with them, but we will not have a service. If you just want to take that day and spend it with your family, it's completely open to you. No service that day. Now, we will, on December 31st, have an online service. And that will be a little bit different. I will be speaking about the future of Horizon. Where are we going? What's happening next? And so on December 31st, that'll be an online sermon, and it'll be all about the future of Horizon, what our 2018 plans are, what we're looking to go to weekly services, what we need to be praying about, and uh, I'll be talking about calling us to prayer and fasting as we look for these things in 2018. And then in January, we're doing a switch. So we're going to start meeting here for our live services the first Sunday of every month rather than the last. So the first Sunday of every month. So starting with January 7th, we'll be right here in the Ardmore Music Hall at 10 a.m. And we're going to start a new series called Money Matters. They told me in seminary, whatever you do, never preach on money or politics. So I'm going to do both in 2018. And um, well, Jesus talked about them. I think as long as I stick to what Jesus said, I'm okay. Now, the Bible actually says more about money than give just give your money to the church, which I feel like is the only sermon I've ever heard about money in church is always just give your money to the church. But Jesus actually talks a lot about money, and he talks a lot about different aspects of money. So we're going to cover everything that Jesus covered, and I think as long as I stick with what Jesus said, I'll be safe. So that starts on January 7th, and um, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. You may not be, but I, I'm looking forward to it. Okay, what's our next slide there, Gabe? And so we want to wish you, of course, all a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays and a Happy New Year. And um, if you are free after the service here, after we pack everything up, we're going to walk across the street. There's a little pizza spot on the corner here right across the street where you can buy just a slice of pizza. And so we're going to hang out there for a few minutes, eat a slice of pizza if you want to hang out with us and have lunch. And then what's that, Darcy? Oh, yes, we brought props to take pictures over here for a fun festive photo booth in front of this kind of red, um, kind of Christmassy velvet curtain. And there's Christmas trees next to it there. So if you want to take some fun photo booth pictures, you can do that there. And if you're a first-time visitor, we have a first-time visitor guest uh, gift for guests right here on the connection table as well. So let's go ahead and pray and dismiss. And once again, if you have a connection card, you can drop it with Darbs on your way out. 
Lord Jesus, thank you for the service today. Lord, thank you for the people that you brought out. Thank you for just this season when we stop and pause and remember that without you, we have nothing, that we're all desperately in need of you, that none of us are better than the other, that it's not intelligence or income or prestige or position, uh, but it ultimately comes down to we all need Jesus. And Lord, we're grateful for what you've done and who you are, and we're grateful for how you're changing our world through us. And Lord Jesus, we pray that you would give these people a great week and a great month, and Lord, that you will help them do well on exams and help them get all their holiday shopping done, and all the stress and chaos of the season will come together, and that they'll have a great season celebrating you and celebrating what you're doing. And I pray this all in your name.